0: Between. Lower. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. It's jumping. Coming smooth. It's jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Alboverde. Joined to my right. By Graham Hall. And folks, it is here. Florida, Alabama, SEC opener, 330, CBS. Does it get any better than that? Graham, you ready?
1: I am pumped. We can finally stop looking ahead to this matchup. We're allowed to talk about it. To be excited about it. And I think up until this moment, and probably past when we finish the podcast, you and I... Are both going to be wondering how exactly this thing is going to shake out. There is so much mystery going into this Florida Alabama matchup, more than I can think about for really any game, meaningful game in a long time. Florida comes in saying that we haven't really seen their full offense. There are suddenly defensive questions that we didn't have the week prior. Alabama, their quarterback first true road test what did they have there is so much unknown here and that really adds to the excitement I feel like
0: and you mentioned the questions on defense Graham both teams now dealing with injuries to their starting linebackers Ventrell Miller going to be out for this game and Will Anderson Alabama's top linebacker his status still to be determined although he has been practicing this week but if he can't go That is a huge loss for Alabama. But another guy who's been practicing this week is Anthony Richardson, who has been certainly the talk of Gator Nation this season and specifically this week. Everyone wants to know the status of his hamstring. We've been on top of it on pins and needles, waiting on updates from Dan Mullen. And he said Wednesday that AR-15 is practiced this week. He's looked good, received treatment, and by all accounts, it looks like he's going to be available against Alabama to what extent, what percent is he at? We'll find out, but they definitely need him and those explosive plays that he provides if they're going to be able to pull off this upset.
1: We talked in the last episode about how I wasn't certain we would get an quote-unquote official diagnosis for Richardson. You already add in how conspiratorial college coaches can be, and then this matchup... It would behoove Florida not to have said too much about Richardson. Business as usual. So I wasn't too surprised when Dan Mullen came out on Wednesday on the SEC teleconference and said he looks good. But this is a hamstring. And, yeah, I'm no doctor here. But you, you hear hamstring. You hope it's a cramp. Anything, tightness, pull. It's something that could keep you out for one week. But it's also something that you could go out there and not perform at the same level, even though you can play with it. And I'm kind of leaning towards the latter being the possibility with Richardson here. Maybe it affects his movement, his confidence with that leg, how dynamic he can be. We saw during the week it came out that he hit 21.5 miles per hour before that hammy tightened up on him.
0: Yeah, he says he would have hit 22 if that didn't happen.
1: I want to see that. I mean, that's incredible speed right there. You see everyone else in that list... Not a six foot four quarterback. Running backs, wide receivers, guys six foot and under. So we'll have to see if he has the same level of athleticism if he's able to play on that hamstring.
0: Now, I will say, Graham, as we know, the quarterback talk has dominated everything regarding this game, and specifically for Florida, right? But I don't think enough has been said and talked about. Regarding Bryce Young coming in here, making his first career road start, and the test that awaits him in Gainesville. Because for all that the Gators have to go through replacing Kyle Trask and the difficult task that that is, Alabama's going through the same thing with Mac Jones. Now, everybody is just very confident, and Bryce Young's done nothing in the first two games to show that he's not going to be able to be his successor but he hasn't seen anything like this since he's been in college, nor have many of the players on Alabama's roster. So there is some reasons for optimism going into this game, along with the results of last year's matchup in the SEC championship, because, hey, if Florida fell six points short to that team and the Gators lost a lot from that squad, Bama lost a lot from that squad, you feel like maybe those teams can be competitive. And I... I do think that this game is going to be competitive. I'm not seeing a 15-point edge for Alabama. I was surprised by that line.
1: I was a little bit, too. I, I understand why people would think Alabama would win the game.
0: You heard all the players from Florida say that this week. Hey, we get it.
1: We get it. I mean, you also don't want to give Alabama any extra motivation and say, they're not going to beat us by 15. And all of a sudden, they show up here being like, all right, well, now we got to beat them by 21.
0: I love Damian Pierce, though, like... Shoot, they beat everybody by 20-plus. They're showing us love. I'll take it.
1: you got to take the little victories. And I think with this Florida offense, they feel as if maybe they felt a little bit more scrutiny for their quarterback position than the Crimson Tide has felt. I mean, Emory Jones is a guy who has spent four years in the program, and the two opponents the Gators played the first two weeks were far and away more difficult than the opponents the Crimson Tide faced. And Bryce Young arrives here having played in nine college games, two of them being starts, a 19-year-old sophomore, making, as you noted, his first true road start. And we talked about this on the Swampcast a little bit earlier. The last time he really played an extremely difficult game was when he was in high school at Matter Day in Santa Ana, California. And they were up 28-6. to in the first half and really couldn't execute the offense too well in the second half and St. John Bosco came back and prevented Matterday from winning that third consecutive national championship. I really believe, and I wrote about this on Gatorsports.com and in the Gainesville Sun this week, that you can rattle this guy. And it is up to the fans. You know, I'm the one saying pack the swamp now. It's up to the fans on Saturday, I think, to really give the Gators an
0: edge. And we're going to get a sold-out swamp on Saturday and that I think is something to look forward to not just from a fan standpoint, but in this game and the type of impact that it could have on it. They always say that the swamp is good for a touchdown in a game like this. So that's something to watch for, but just to have a matchup of this magnitude once again in Gainesville, SEC nation in town, the number one team visiting. I mean, you don't get that very often and especially coming from Alabama. So just from that standpoint, We've heard Dan Mullen say that he would like to see this happen more often, and he thought that Florida going a 10-year stretch from 2011 now to 2021 without hosting Bama in the swamp, he just said that that's not right. That's not right for the players, not right for the fans, and I think that that's something that with conference realignment that maybe we could see change in the future, and I mean, yes, Florida would maybe get some more matchups against the Crimson Tide, but so would everybody else, and I think he's also open to maybe not having to face LSU every year but that's for another time for another conversation we're going to get into this first break when we come back on the other side Graham and I will start to break down this matchup first on the offensive side then on the defensive side but we want to give our thoughts on what it's going to take for Florida to win this game how do they pull off the upset what do they have to do on each side of the ball And then the final segment, we'll give you our X factors and our score prediction. We'll be right back after this break. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor, Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support.
1: I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland. But I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: (laughs) Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. Last time these two teams faced off, Graham, the Gators were able to put up a lot of points against the Crimson Tide, have a ton of success. Obviously, they've lost all those major pieces. Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius, Tony, and have done some things very well. Obviously, in the first two games, lead the nation in rushing. They've shown that, I think, as an offensive line unit, they look improved and they figure out a a solid starting five. And they've had some guys as expected, emerge at receiver replacing all the guys uh, that that were starting last year. I think the the question, obviously, is where things are going to shake out at the quarterback spot, how those guys are going to split time and be rotated, and more importantly, how is Emory Jones going to play? Like I think at this point everyone expects an- Anthony Richardson to come into the game and be an impact player and provide explosive plays for this offense. We talked last week on the pod about Emory Jones need to have a game where he showed ball security and didn't have any turnovers, and that wasn't able to happen last week. So I think for this game, you cannot turn over the ball, obviously against a team like Alabama, but just for him and his confidence and them to be able to operate the game plan that Mullen has in place, which we'll talk about here in this segment. But Emory Jones, I think for everyone that wants to see Anthony Richardson, like they need Emory Jones as well to have a game that shows why he was Nick Saban's quarterback target in the 2018 class.
1: I've said throughout the week that it may be a little unfair for how much the discussion has revolved around the quarterback play, but part of that is because the rest of the offense, I think, has answered some questions the first two weeks. and There's nothing else to talk about. We haven't really discussed that too much. Go back to week one. Jacob Copeland really just targeted once. Well, that question gets answered week two against the Bulls when he has those touchdowns and looks really, really good. And then you can finally say, OK, now I see why this guy's wearing the number one jersey. <laughs> Answers a lot of questions about his hands. Yeah. I think that that was huge as well. The run game, as you noted, Zach, leading the nation in rushing 400 yards. That first game against the Owls looked great against the Bulls. Not just their quarterback, Anthony Richardson, making it happen, but all five guys in that running back room have been a critical part of the the backfield rotation.
0: And Emory Jones, I mean, he had a career-high rushing against the Bulls, had a touchdown run. So it's it's all those pieces put together is why they're leading the nation.
1: Right so now. you also are not thinking, oh, hey, it's just one back when they possibly go down, this may drop off. Florida has shown that they can efficiently run the football, really no matter who is in there, and that just kind of has to give you peace of mind. Then the offensive line, all those guys, I think, have looked really impressive. Even Delance, I think, who has gotten a a knock, we'll have to see how he is coming back from that bruise he was on. Uh, he needed some crutches, I guess you can call it, walking assistance after the game against the Bulls. Mullen said it is just a bone bruise, so don't really expect. A change at right tackle there but he has been a vital part of their ability to run the football this They're season
0: been their best run blocker
1: so as much of unfairness may exist when it comes to pointing out emory jones's flaws it's really because the rest of that group maybe aside from the tight ends i know that they haven't really caught a pass yet they have been targeted on one but they've certainly been run blocking but they've been critical in the run block game so this is going to put the focus absolutely on Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, the quarterback position for Florida, because the rest of the offense is right now living up to the task.
0: Yeah, I think trying to picture in my mind, how does this offense and, and this personnel that they have for 21 find success, have touchdown drives against the Crimson Tide? And I think, you know, one thing that's always the case with Alabama is it's hard to throw against them. Because they've got an incredible front seven, some dynamic pass rushers. Now, the one thing that we've seen from Florida and its offensive line in the first two games is that they've given Emory Jones plenty of time to throw. I mean, he's just been chilling in the pocket. Right. However, I feel like that's when all of his interceptions have happened. It's when he's had the time. So I think in this game, whether the offensive line is able to replicate that or not and give him that amount of time, I don't think that he needs to sit that long to make and wait to make those decisions. I think that they're going to have Emory Jones trying to go through one or two reads, make quick throws, I think roll out of the pocket a lot, and I don't think they're going to ask him to stand in there and sit in the pocket like Kyle Trask did in the SEC championship game. So from that standpoint, it's going to be different, but they they have to run the ball, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the pod specifically, but they need to be able to find success running the ball, and keep that Alabama offense off the field, try to control time of possession, and just wear them down, which is something that most teams aren't able to do against Alabama. But us, they've got the horses in the backfield to do it. Can they have enough success in the passing game to keep Bama honest and then have a balanced attack on Saturday?
1: People have been using that term, vanilla offense. I think that is absolutely applicable to this backfield. I thought a lot of what you saw, the design run plays from the first two games, were very traditional, I-form stuff. We haven't really gotten into seeing guys like Jacob Copeland in the backfield, Keon Zipperer. That is going to absolutely be, I think, a weapon that you're going to see moving forward that this Florida offense has yet to really display. And can that bring Florida's rushing attack to new heights? We'll have to see, but it makes sense to think that if they were able to do this stuff traditionally against kind of some lower tier type teams, if they can find another gear for this backfield moving into SEC play, that is the best case scenario for this offense. And then when it comes to the passing game, you know, I do think you haven't really seen how critical the tight ends could be for some of this stuff. We talked all spring about how high this team has been on true freshman Nick Elksness. wasn't a surprise to me that he was the first tight end targeted, although it was an incompletion. I think you will start to see him be used in the downfield passing game moving forward.
0: Absolutely. And it, it just, it was kind of a, a smirk from Jacob Copeland this week when I asked him, like, how much of this offense we still haven't seen yet. Because I felt like the game plan and what they showed against USF was completely different than Florida Atlantic like they opened it up in the passing game and showed just a glimpse of what they're capable of but it wasn't anything complicated or, or anything like that I mean it was vanilla and we haven't seen motions in the backfield we haven't seen any trickeration we haven't seen guys that, that that they can like move in a variety of spots be used in that fashion yet so a lot of things that they haven't shown yet and it's It's the one thing that the Gators have going into this game that they could potentially bank on and hope gives them an advantage is that there's not a lot of tape out there on Emory Jones. There hardly is any on Anthony Richardson and this offense in general with this personnel. Like last year going into this matchup, Nick Saban and his staff had all of 2020 and most of 2019 to go back and watch Kyle Trask and that offense and prepare for it and see – all the different formations that Dan had shown with them and all the different attacks and game plans that he had put together this year and for this game, he's not able to do that for Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. And that's the beauty of having those first two non-conference opponents where you could just line up and beat them with your ground game and have a vanilla attack and not show a lot.
1: It absolutely has to be one of the reasons also why Dan Mullen is calling for this to be kind of an annual matchup in a sense here, because I think the deck is stacked in Alabama's favor when you play them in the SEC championship game. Because as you mentioned, they have all this film on the opposition. They also usually have more depth because of their success on the recruiting trail. So injuries are less of a factor to this Crimson Tide team as you get into December. I think that is absolutely huge. And one thing we talk about always when we talk about Dan Mullen is his coaching prowess in-game coaching decisions. Has he made some mistakes? Absolutely. But I think he is regarded highly as an in-game coach. Giving him an opportunity with a full deck against the Crimson Tide to out-coach them when they haven't really seen ahead of time what he's going to be calling, I think is something he craves. So you can really even the playing field and get a really fair assertion on who's the better, more well-developed team this early in the season before injuries, film, all these other resources that the Crimson Tide have right now over you really come into play.
0: Yeah, and so we'll see what Dan Mullen has in stores. I wrote a piece on GatorSports.com about five plays, packages that we could see from him and this offensive personnel that hasn't been shown yet in 2021. And you know Dan, he's looking to get in his bag on Saturday. I mean, he's going to throw the kitchen sink at the Crimson Tide and do everything he can to get – this win and just kind of set Florida on a totally different foot going into their SEC slate. This is his opportunity to obviously get a signature win, and he's already had some at Florida in the Swamp against LSU, against Auburn. But this is another level. It's going to be a huge recruiting weekend in Gainesville. You know that. So if you find a way to have some success offensively, and I think that's what it's going to take and pull off this upset, then, then this is your moment. So I think from a play-calling standpoint, He's not holding anything back. There's been, I think, things that he's been waiting and preparing on for this game, and and we'll talk about, I think, a little bit in the last segment, how much the players and the coaches have been looking forward to this matchup, how much it kind of motivated them going through the offseason, I think, for no un- unit more than the defense, because for them to give up 50-plus points in that SEC championship game, left a sour taste in their mouth, they showed themselves that they could have success against Alabama because they came out in that third quarter and shut them out and were the only defense all season to do that in a quarter so can they do something like that on Saturday can they get some turnovers some three and outs, can they play well on third down, all those things are going to be key Graham and I will talk about that once we come back from this break to the Gator sports pod. Graham, the Gators defensively did not get the shutout that they were going for, but still did some good things, especially after giving up that early drive for the field goal, but it steps up, obviously, in competition from USF to Alabama. We've talked about what the Tide have lost from last year's team, but despite that, they are loaded. At quarterback, obviously, at wide receiver, they got a bevy of backs just like the Gators, and They've recruited really well along the offensive line. So you look at this team, yes, they haven't really been tested yet, but I think everybody expects that they're going to be ready for all the tests that come at them this season.
1: To quote Miami coach Manny Diaz here, this is a team that not too long ago was blowing out the opponent in the national championship game. You cannot make mistakes against this team and expect to hang in there and keep it a game defensively, it's such an interesting situation coming into this game because the last time you played them, it ends with 98 points across both teams. And you're talking about players that at the high school level, defensively, are used to shutouts, are used to multiple sacks, embarrassing the opposition here. And then they enter a season of quarantining, lack of live drills and tackling, and they're being embarrassed and people are doubting their talent level and quarterbacks are breaking records against them. I mean, you got to feel a little bit humbled here. And I'm waiting to really see that come out on the field for Florida. I think that you've seen some improvements. Yes, in the secondary there have been some. You saw some nice takeaways from a university that prides itself on defensive backs. I just don't know whether you really have seen the elevation from last season's team that gave up 52 points to the Crimson Tide. Is this going to be a game like, this is what I've been thinking about. The Mississippi State game of Dan Mullen's first year on campus where neither team's defense is allowing the other to drive down the field and find some success. And Mullen in this game in 2018 was coaching the weaker program. He had built up the other program and was trying to out-coach them to get over the hill. And he calls on Kadarius Tony to throw the lone touchdown pass in that game to make the difference. Are we going to see something like that? The defense is going to have to find a way to get this Crimson Tide offense off the field here, and I don't really think that they have made fans, media, you name it, convinced that they're going to be able to do that on Saturday.
0: Yeah, and obviously in the, in the front seven, I think the talent is, is obvious and, and known. The Gators you know, really got after Florida Atlantic. They got a lot of pressure against USF as well, and that's what they're going to have to do against Bryce Young. I mean, When you return the talent that the Gators do, this is the time when it's supposed to pay dividends. I mean, you look at what they've stockpiled from a defensive line standpoint, where they're at from their outside linebacker position at the buck spot. I mean, they're loaded. They have kind of the horses to come at Bryce Young and rattle him. I think the one thing that is going to hurt Ford in the front seven is the loss of Ventrell Miller and what he provides from a leadership standpoint and just from making calls and getting everybody in check and, and, and lined up right, I think that the Gators have the ta- like the talent to withstand maybe him being out. Like I think they could have a guy that steps in who could be, from an athletic standpoint, just as talented and have a really good skill set, maybe even have some things that they do better than Ventrell. But you're not going to have a guy that's going to step in, maybe other than Jeremiah Moon, who's going to be able to provide that same veteran presence and just be that senior leader and I think losing your leading tackler is big in this game it maybe doesn't affect them as much going up against Bryce Young but definitely in that run game trying to slow down Bama's backs
1: absolutely I think that the loss of Ventrell is huge I I I know that we talk often about what Florida has on the edge the lack of physicality at times at the interior of the defensive line but really it has been Ventrell that has kind of been that that run stopper for Florida in that front seven. Losing him, I don't know if they have someone right now able to step in. We've talked about five-star linebacker Derek Wingo. Hasn't played a whole lot of snaps this season. Tyron Hopper, I think, has an ability to step in here. Yeah, but, he
0: had a career high against the Bulls. This is And he met with the media this week, so I think they're, this is going to be big for him with Miller. Out. And
1: fans have been calling on him to step up as well, and we know that he's kind of been on an accelerated timeline to seeing the field here. This could be the window of opportunity that he needs with Miller being out possibly until the end of the season here. So I think that someone is going to step up, but are they going to be able to have the same level of production on Saturday? I don't know. My gut tells me it's going to be kind of a familiar face here, though. We've seen Amari Burney rotate around as well as Mahmoud Diabate. So we'll have to see who can fill that role for the Gators in the middle on Saturday. But just a huge loss all around for a guy that really had a chance of going to the league in April.
0: Yeah, it sucks to, to see him come back for a senior season be the guy that was one of the faces of this program they brought to SEC media days. And to see him go down with that tendon injury, we don't know the extent of it, but he did have surgery. So he's going to be out for some time, and Florida's going to have to pick up the pieces. And I think being able to play Jeremiah Moon at inside linebacker really, in hindsight, was was something that could benefit them because you're going to have Mahmoud Diabate be there. He's kind of been Ventrell's backup. But now with Moon also playing there as well, he can kind of provide you with some of that leadership that you're going to be missing with Miller out. But I think we all know in this game, it's about the secondary. And with this defense, it's about the secondary. Those are the questions going into this year. Those are the questions in a matchup like this. Yes, the Crimson Tide are not the same passing attack that they were with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and all that talent that they had. But Bryce Young is certainly capable. You don't want to let Michi get open against you. And you look at where the Gators are at in their secondary. I mean, they they've played well for the most part. I think they withstood the test from Nikosi Perry. They got two interceptions against USF. One of them w- w- didn't count. But going to in th- into this game, you're going to have to get some picks against Bryce Young. Like for this game to go the way you want it to go, and for him to like lose confidence within the game and have this first career. Road start for him, true road start, go like it did for Bo Nix in 2019 when he threw picks in that game. Like, it has to happen. you got to have your front seven and your secondary make the plays that just kills his confidence within the game that allows you to to, to feel like you got a chance to be in it.
1: I think that it's going to be way more likely you see a scenario like that than you see something like Bryce Young steps in, Replicates exactly what Mac Jones gave them. I agree at quarterback. I mean, all the you know credit to what Bryce Young has done throughout his young career, but he really hasn't seen an environment like that. This that he's going to see on Saturday, and I know that some people love to say, "Well, maybe that's a little bit of Florida bias." Now you still got some Auburn players talking about how loud that 2019 game was that really threw Bo Nix off his grind. There, I think you're going to see something like that on Saturday. Fans have been waiting for this. You haven't had one of these every single week where people can say, ah, I can just miss this one and see it at home. You don't know when the next one of these is going to come and Young, as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, has had his difficulties late in games before, but really in my mind, and maybe this is a hot take, but he really hasn't looked overly impressive the first two games. Yeah, I know he's thrown for nearly 600 yards across two games. The opponents were worse than the ones Florida faced, though. But really, you're looking at around like 65% completion percentage. It's not much different than Emory Jones'. The only thing we haven't seen Bryce Young do is make some bad mistakes. But we don't know that he doesn't have them in him.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like going into this game, you, you mentioned him trying to replicate the performance from Mac Jones. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. And I don't think that... Alabama's rushing attack is going to be able to replicate what Najee Harris did in that game. So I think just overall, their offense is not going to be productive. I still expect them to put up points. But they got to get some turnovers in this game. I think it would be key for an interception. And here's my guy, Graham, that I'm going to predict gets a pick on Saturday. You ready? I'm ready. Jadarius Perkins making the start At star, that's right, folks. You heard it here first on the Gator Sports Podcast. Look for the transfer from Missouri to be in the starting lineup against the Crimson Tide on Saturday, and I think that he's going to have an impact at the star position. And I think if they're going to look to test anybody, he'll get an opportunity. And and hey, I think if anybody gets a pick, it's going to be number 27.
1: You wrote this week about his rise really throughout fall camp where from what we'd heard, wasn't as desirable as the coaching staff was looking for, but what a six weeks it really has been for him. He has elevated his play and like guys like Avery Helm, he was motivated by that window of opportunity that presented itself when Jaden Hill went down, how some of those defensive backs were going to shuffle around naturally. He had a chance to usurp Dewan Black's minutes and really push Trevez Johnson to start at star and one of the things that we talked about was how the second half of those first two games, were not only going to be trial by fire for some of these younger players. It was also a tryout for some of them. Not all of these starting positions were solidified, nope. set in stone. And how can you make the case by the way that Nkosi Perry and, you know, Jaron Meacham tore the defense up at times in the first two weeks, how can you say that, oh, you can't look elsewhere? That's what this coaching staff has been doing, and that's what has happened with Perkins now, and now he has an opportunity to lock down that spot for the foreseeable future with another strong performance against the biggest opponent of the season.
0: And again, you look at him emerging in Florida's secondary and now being one of their starters or guy that's just very, very involved in the rotation, that could potentially be someone that makes the difference in that unit Because you added him in the offseason. You added several pieces in the offseason, but a guy that comes in as a top five overall Juco transfer, like he should be coming in and making this type of impact. So if he can do that for Florida on Saturday, that is obviously going to be key to an upset. When we come back from this final break, Graham and I will give you our X factors for the game, and we will give you our score prediction right here on the Gator Sports Podcast. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. We've given our thoughts on this game, how we think it needs to play out for Florida, but now it's time for us to uh, really give our predictions. But before we do that, we're going to get into some X factors as we do each week before Saturday's matchup for the Gators. And I think it goes without saying who it's going to be on Saturday on the offensive side of the ball. My first one is going to be Anthony Richardson. I think he is your X factor each and every week. But specifically for this game, to pull off the upset, to be able to beat number one Alabama, you need that guy, AR fifteen, to be that kind of weapon and make the kind of explosive plays that he's already done in the first two games. Like that's gonna be required to pull this off. And I think his hamstring and the health of it is gonna be very key, obviously, in that happening. If he is not a hundred percent or is not able to make those type of plays and can't be that X factor, I really think that's going to hurt Florida's chances in this game.
1: To beat Alabama, you have to find a way to generate dynamic plays. And if you can say anything... Through the first two games, he generates them at a higher rate <laughs> than anyone else on this roster. So, yeah, not help. just
0: not just quarterback, but the running backs, you name <laughs> it.
1: You know, I mentioned him in the run game. He uh, you know, has done it all here. The pass to Jacob Copeland, they and, need him,
0: and they hey, they even got him in there on the Hail Marys.
1: Yeah, yeah, onside kick recover, you name it. The guy has great hands. They need him on the field. Come Saturday, absolutely a big one. I am going to go a little bit more broad and just go with Florida's run game. You know, you can't afford a drop-off after what you showed these first two weeks. You absolutely need dynamic plays against the Crimson Tide, but you also need to keep your offense on the field at times. Wear down that defense. String together some first downs. 11 play drives if you can. I think Florida had a 17-play drive on Saturday against the Bulls. Beautiful. I mean, talk about clock management, ladies and gentlemen. I would love to see that if they can pound the rock,
0: Oh, Saban would lose his mind. Oh, man.
1: Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Florida goes out there, seven minute touchdown, 13 plays, 75 yards with like seven runs. I would absolutely love it. You know, as long as it's not the scripted drive, because people would find some excuses. But you need to see that ground game come out there on Saturday and keep Florida's offense out there. It can't be like what you saw back in Atlanta. In December, where 98 points between the two teams and the defense is gassed by the fourth quarter because they're you know, getting torn up and the offense has to sit for two minutes and come back out there. You can't have that type of game. It's going to be too dang hot for that. People need to rest. Florida has to establish the ground game on Saturday.
0: My X Factor on defense, and I wrote this week about how the Gators have lost seven straight games to Nick Saban. But Dan Mullen hasn't been winless against Nick Saban on the recruiting trail. Nick Saban is still cleaned up in the state of Florida now. But Dan Mullen and his staff have won their fair share, which you need to do to try and beat Bama on the field. And I think in this game, the recruits that they beat Bama for need to be the difference makers. Oh, yeah. And one of those guys, to me, my X Factor, is Chris Bogle. Former Alabama commit who pledged to them late in his process on national TV and then a month later flipped to Florida on signing day. Now, why is he so significant? Well, we heard from Brenton Cox Jr. this week who didn't play the whole second half against USF, but what was revealed from Todd Grantham on Monday night that he also didn't play in the Florida Atlanta game after the second series. We have not seen much of number one on defense, and that's because, hearing from Cox this week, he's still not 100%. With his foot. And so they've needed other guys at that buck position to step up. And so far, it's been Chris Bogle. Last game against USF, had a career high with six tackles. He had a sack in the first game. You need him to win matchups against Evan Neal. I don't know. I'm sure they got some other edge rushers that can do it too. But I think he's your best bet from a health standpoint too, right now to go out and do it. And if Nick Saban and that staff felt like he was good enough to come play for them and line up against Evan Neal every day in practice, it's his opportunity to do it on Saturday. He's got to have a huge game and, and, and make a difference and, and be one of those guys that rattles Bryce Young.
1: Yeah, that's a great pick. He's coming off also arguably the greatest game in his Florida career, having a six, six tackles career high against the Bulls. You know, Brenton Cox – After that Jones fracture and the surgery, really dedicated himself to his recovery. And a lot of people thought he wouldn't even be back until like midway through the season. The fact that he's been able to contribute these first two games, I think, is pretty incredible on its own. And even if he's not fully healthy until the end of October, you have a guy that is able to contribute at a position that you have a lot of wealth at. So you don't have to push him out there and make him consistently play through the discomfort. You can have him out there for a series or two, let him rest. And if he needs to come back in the second half, he's able to push through that discomfort. But ideally, you would want to get some of those younger guys. Antoine Powell, you name it, some experience there on the edge. I'm going with another guy who is going to be at a critical position in the front seven this week, and it's going to be Mahmoud Diabate. He has to find a way... To make an impact. We wrote about in fall camp, how he bulked up, got up to right 235, has able to, you know, the ability to play on the edge, but I think you're gonna need to see him more in that traditional linebacker spot.
0: And and he spent the last two years playing. Ventrell Miller.
1: Yeah. So he's been studying this. He knows how to do this. He probably would have played a lot more there as you as you noted, if it weren't for Ventrell Miller leading the team in tackles. So I think you'll see Diabate out there in that role on Saturday and I wouldn't be surprised if he locks it down moving forward.
0: And this is big for him. I mean, a guy from the state of Alabama, they've got four guys on Florida's roster from the state of Alabama. He's the only one that was offered by the Crimson Tide. And he said this week they were his second choice. It looked, and a lot of people assumed that it was Auburn because yeah. that was his hometown. But no, it was Alabama. They offered him actually four months before the Tigers did, and he he really liked Nick Saban's program, just uh, really wanted to come and play for Todd Grantham and play in this scheme. And this is a, a big game for him being able to step in for Ventro Miller and also try to play better a second time around against Alabama because he didn't do so well in the sec championship game. And, and I think that he just had a tough time being matched up against Najee Harris, which ain't nothing to be ashamed about. Right, A lot of guys have a tough time going up against him, but it was frustrating for him. I remember One of the plays that that he got matched up on him and Najee Harris scored. And like Diabate was right there to make the tackle and and Harris just was able to get in the end zone. And Diabate just slammed his arms in in the end zone because he was so frustrated that he had scored. So this is his chance to to come back and play his home state team. He's got a bunch of friends from back home that are going to be watching this game and rooting for Alabama. So he's got a a chance to spoil their Saturday. And you're right, Graham. He's got to have a big performance and another one of those bama guys that they got.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this Alabama team is going to be able to establish things over the middle with their running backs and that absolutely full cabinet of wide receivers that they have. You're going to need a guy like Diabate who has some speed and some physicality at that position to be able to stop them. We talked to him a lot last season about, you know, that's why I kind of I love interviews with players like him because they're very open about their mistakes and their willingness to improve and he's been right there the entire time saying hey that's not me last season I'm better than that the quarantining was tough those were very frank comments from him this week now I mean you can say it man but people are gonna need to see you back it up this is the week to back it up you gotta eliminate that taste of giving up 52 to the Crimson Tide and stop these guys
0: I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday. I think that they're going to play much better and much closer as well than what the line is for this game, and it's time for our score predictions, Graham. And as I look at this game, look, if there was any time for you to upset Alabama, the stars have aligned for the Gators because catching them in the SEC opener right at the start of the season after you've played two non-conference opponents that you were able to beat easily and play vanilla and not show a lot and then to also on offense have the personnel that there's not the tape out there for Saban and his staff to study I mean just so many things working in Florida's favor for them to pull off this upset what's not working in their favor is the injuries and I think that They've been pretty significant ones. I think Florida completely healthy going into this game, including from the start of preseason camp, is able to pull off this upset. And I'm not saying they won't on Saturday, but I think if they were healthy, I'd, I, I'd feel like I could pick them. I think that the loss of Jaden Hill and now the loss of Ventro Miller and Anthony Richardson not being 100% is what will prevent Florida from winning this game. I think that they'll be competitive. I think they'll be at close. I think maybe at times they'll even be up in this game. I just don't know if they have enough offensively with Anthony Richardson potentially limited and then losing two key starters in Ventro Miller and Jaden Hill to be able to withstand that. So I've got Bama winning a close one, 35-31.
1: Ooh, I would like to see that. I would like to see a competitive game like that. That comes down to one possession. Late in the game, someone's got to put it away. Unfortunately, I'm going by more than one possession. I'm going to go 38-27, the Crimson Tide. And part of that is because of exactly what you said. The injuries are just too much for Florida to overcome, and you didn't even fully touch on all of them. Two other contributors are... I think, game-time decisions. And DeLance yep. with the Bruce, who you really, no disrespect to him, you can't afford him to be anything less than 100%. And that's not just from how vital he is, but from what you've seen in the last couple of years when he has had to play through injuries. His ability does drop off, which is absolutely understandable. And then Elijah Blades, the guy that I think a lot of people were talking about is filling the role of Jaden Hill.
0: Well, and, and look, I mean, Dan Mullen said, hey, it's been up and down with the guys that we've had there at corner opposite Elam so far. They've been rotating Helm and Marshall. Both of those guys have shown flashes. Both of those guys have got penalties called on them. Yep. And we haven't seen Blades yet.
1: Yeah, I don't know what to make of Avery Helm still. We know what to make of his physical attributes. But his play at corner there, he hasn't really had a chance to prove himself. And he hasn't
0: locked anyone down yet.
1: He has not. And, and part of that is because you know Florida I don't think has shown too much defensively from what he's going to be asked to do from a coverage standpoint on Saturday. So got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But with that said you can't really be feeling I think overly optimistic by any sense of the word. And that was before I think some of these injuries occurred. You were thinking you had to be at full strength to have a chance to compete with this team. And then
0: and then play a perfect game.
1: Yeah. And so the details we've heard that word a lot through the past two weeks. That's the other part of the injuries that I was going to discuss in my score prediction. Florida hasn't played a clean game. And that's part of the double-edged sword aspect of playing a team this early. You have a lot to clean up as well. And the Gators, you know, they haven't had a lot of penalties, but they have made mistakes, not just Emory Jones. They've blown assignments. I mean, you know, they gave up 44-yard passing play to the Bulls there in the fourth quarter. Jason Marshall, the five-star, got beat. I mean, there are things that the Gators have shown that they can improve upon, and they haven't really had their head coach this isn't me necessarily calling out Dan Mullen, but there still is a line between Dan Mullen's acceptance with Florida's faults and the way you see Nick Saban get animated and angry when his team makes mistakes against Mercer. He's been pissed. I mean, he's livid, and that should terrify Florida fans that (laughs) that the Crimson Tide have just gotten worked all week in the meeting room for their mistakes the same way. I mean, that should be... At the top of their list of concerns over Bryce Young, because if anything, this Crimson Tide team has shown under Nick Saban is that they respond well when called out by their head coach. And I think that they're gonna step up to the test. So I went 38-27 Crimson Tide.
0: Yeah, and that, I mean I think that your feelings on the game kind of changed throughout the week as you learned about more injuries for Florida. And it just it's unfortunate going into this game that they've got some key players out. I think if Anthony Richardson God forbid, for the Gators, if he can go for them, and he is close to 100%, then he could be in the difference. But you're going to need Emory Jones, too. Like Both guys got to play like they did in that first half against USF for this offense to, to be able to keep up with them. And and look, can Emory Jones go a whole game without turning the ball over? I think he can, and he's going to have to Saturday. But do I expect him to after to throwing two games with back-to-back picks I, I don't think so I, I think that he's got to go out and show me yep and and we'll and we'll see what happens on Saturday we'll see what happens from Florida's defense Graham and I will be back on Monday to recap everything on the pod make sure you stay tuned to gatorsports.com for all of our coverage from the swamp for our recap afterwards with our swamp cast and it's just great that SEC football is here I can't wait to hear that CBS music I can't wait to see that crowd on Saturday. It's finally here, folks. Florida Bama. We're excited for it. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde.